You are listening to A Taste of Romumu, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Romumu, please visit romumu.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. I want to begin to explore Parshat by sharing with you a scene from a novel that has always haunted me. And the novel is Toni Morrison's Beloved, which is a novel about escape from slavery and about the effects of slavery. And the scene is about a woman named Baby Suggs. Baby Suggs is the holder, the, the uh, holy woman and the healer of her community. Her community is largely a community of escaped slaves. After a moment of deep sorrow and disappointment, she decides to retire from her life of spiritual leadership. And she spends her final months looking at colors. She starts with blue. Then she moves to yellow and to green. And she's working through pink when she dies. And in one sense, she is withdrawing from a world that has disappointed her. And in another, and her descendants come to appreciate this by the end of the novel, she is learning to appreciate the world's beauty in detail on a micro level. She is choosing to turn a world too focused on the color of people's skin into a world where color is a gift. And in the end, her children and grandchildren come to understand her fascination with color as a fascination with the beauty of life. And I've often thought about Baby Suggs since I read the novel. She strikes me as the model of both a priest and a healer, one who commits to healing the world's suffering, yet is also connected to the beauty of the world as it is. Parshat Tetzave teaches us about the garments of the high priest who served in the sanctuary, in the Mishkan, the holy dwelling place. These are the vestments they are to make. They're described in detail. A breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a coat, a turban, and a sash. There's also a headplate that seats, hangs right here, and pants mentioned elsewhere. And these magnificent and mysterious garments are all of beautiful hues, blue, scarlet, crimson, purple. We don't wear them today, at least not in our synagogue rituals. In our contemporary period, when the Jews went into exile and the temple was destroyed, what became of these garments? Of course, the Midrash has an answer. A Midrash found in Esther Rabbah in a rabbinic Midrash on the book of Esther claims that during their parties in Shushan, Achashverosh and Vashti were wearing the garments of the high priest, garments that they had stolen during the attack on the temple in Jerusalem. So this Midrash gives the parties of the Persian king and queen a sinister cast. The lavish balls are not merely decadent, but they're sacrilegious as well. The classic Midrash, which is not particularly sympathetic to Vashti, I'm sorry to say, sets up a reason why Vashti deserves her later banishment. She has the gall to wear the garments of the high priest. And by telling this tale about the Purim story, the Midrash cleverly connects Parshat Tetzaveh about the garments of the high priest 
with the story of Purim, which is always read in proximity to Parshat Tetzaveh. So I probably don't need to say that this midrash, like so many classical rabbinic texts, connects to anxiety about women's sexual autonomy with anxiety about their autonomy in the realm of the sacred. Right? So the woman who says no to the king is also the woman who walks around with a high priest breastplate. But there's another character in the book of Esther who the sages do view positively, who we can also connect to the priestly garments. And that's Esther herself. When Esther goes into the king, remember she goes in unbidden, and so it's very tense whether, uh, whether it's going to be okay, right? whether she's going to be received or whether she's going to be executed. She's clothed uh, in uh, beautiful garments. It says uh, in the text in um, the book of Esther, Vatilbash Esther Malchut. Esther dressed in royal garments. Or more literally, if you read the words literally, Esther wore royalty. Esther dressed in royalty. So if I do a contextual reading of this verse, what it would seem is that Esther dressed in a magnificent way in order to impress the king and make him find her beautiful. But the Jewish interpreters often offer a non-contextual meaning, and so too in this case. They say that Esther was clothed not in magnificent, magnificent clothing, but in the Holy Spirit, in Ruach HaKodesh. So this suggests she went to the king garbed in something else. It was not only about her physical clothes. Let's consider for a moment the parallel between Esther at the king's court and the high priest in the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur. Esther must enter the innermost chamber of the king, and it's very specifically described as an inner chamber, even though she may perish. And the high priest also must enter the monarch's high innermost chamber, even though this is perilous. In fact, the Talmud says they had to tie a rope around the high priest's ankle, so if anything happened to him, they could pull him back out because no one could go in to get him. So the high priest's monarch is God, and Esther's monarch is King Ahasuerosh, but the parallel stands. Both, both Esther and the high priest must dress in especially magnificent garments in order to have this meeting, and both of them fast in order to prepare for this ordeal. Esther fasts for three days, and the high priest also fasts, along with the whole community on Yom Kippur. And both Esther and the high priest are specifically mentioned as standing in a courtyard before they pass into the inner chamber that they must enter. And both Esther and the high priest are making this journey for a single purpose, in order to plead for the safety of the Jewish people. And both of them emerge triumphant, having obtained rescue for their people. This similarity of narrative and image, I don't think is an accident. The book of Esther is a book written by and for Jews in exile, Jews in another land. In, they're in the absence of the temple, and they're even in the absence of the explicit presence of God, since, as has often been noted, God doesn't appear in the book of Esther at all. And in this vacuum, with no temple and no high priest, Esther takes on the role of high priest, and she becomes the guardian of the people. When the high priest can't perform these rituals of repentance, Esther becomes the source of deliverance and of atonement. 
She goes to the king clothed in her queenly garments, but symbolically she's going to the king in the garment of the high priest. So I thought this was my idea. And then I went and looked in the Zohar, and lo and behold, there it was. So the Zohar is a, a work written in Provence in the, in the 11th century, um, most important uh, document of Jewish mysticism, and this is what the Zohar says. At that time, Esther beautified herself with clothing of atonement, and this is what is meant by the verse Vatilbash Esther Malchut, Esther dressed in royalty. With these garments, she was able to go into the inner chamber. She stood in the inner chamber of the king, and here we have a big capital K. She found favor in his eyes. The secret of these words is that God saw her and remembered the eternal covenant. God heard her, forgave her, and responded. So in this reading of the Purim story, it's not King Ahasuerus that Esther is standing before when she appears in the courtyard outside the inner chamber. It's the divine monarch that she's standing before. And it's her willingness to undertake this act, this act of bravery, that invites God to act on behalf of the people. And this is a powerful meditation for me to imagine that even as we're wearing our own clothes, we're also wearing clothes that we are perhaps less aware of. And that as we're going about our own daily lives and confronting our crises and our choices, we may find ourselves at, mo- at a moment when we have to act as the high priest, when suddenly our purposes are larger than we realized. And to me, these commentaries suggest that the priestly garments with all their colors are an outward aid to aid that inner courage. That the colors and the brightness are a, an indication of a willingness to be seen. And thereby make the deepest commitment to life and hope by showing up by being visible, by being willing to take the step that will be needed to save one, many, whatever is in front of us. The Me'eshiloach, which is the commentary of Rabbi Mordechai Yosef Lanier of Ishbitz, a Hasidic commentary, says about Partsat Tetzaveh that we ourselves have the opportunity to wear these high priest garments every time we pray. And note that in the Ahava Rabbah, a prayer that we'll say tomorrow morning, there is a mantra-like repetition of verbs. L'havin, l'haskel, l'ishmoa, l'ilmod, l'ilamed, l'ishmor v'lasot, l'kayem, right, we often sing this part, to understand, to discern, to hear, to learn, to teach, to guard, to do, and to uphold. There are eight of these verbs. And these eight words, according to the Meshiloach, refer to the eight priestly garments. Lahavin, to understand, he says, is the sash. Lahaskel, to discern, is the breastplate, the choshen, which contained the divinatory uh, device of the high priest. Lishmoa, to hear, is the me'il, which had the bells on it so that the people could hear. 
Lilmod, to learn, is the turban, the mitznefet that goes on the head, right, where the seat of intelligence is. Lilamed, to teach, is the seats on the forehead. Lishmor, to guard, is the coat, right? We've all been using the coats to guard ourselves these last few weeks. Lasot, to do, is the afod, and ulakayim, to sustain. These are the pants, the miknasayim. So the Meshilach suggests that this is a meditation on a, in which we put on the garments of the high priest. And he connects each of these verbs to fundamental ways that we are supposed to act, to self-reflection, honesty, peace, vulnerability, and suggests that as we pray these words, we create a prayer where we too are wearing these holy garments and we too have uh, that role to play of the one who must enter the holy of holies or of Esther, who must enter the throne room. And I wonder what it might be like to do that meditation. I wonder what it might be like to imagine that we're wearing these garments, and what kind of courage would they give us to act in the world as if everything depends on us. And maybe we discover courage we didn't know we had, or a willingness to be seen that we didn't know we had. So I'm developing a new relationship to the priestly garments. I now like them not just because they look really cool. (laughs) I'm seeing their beauty as a reflection of the willingness to see and be seen, to engage, and also to see the beauty of the world as it is, in its greens and blues and yellows, to see each thing and each person fully and purely in the moment, even in difficult moments. And as I'm entering Purim, I'm thinking of Esther as, a, as one who made a temple where there was no temple and made holiness in a place where it was hidden. And I want to close by going back to the novel Beloved, where Toni Morrison writes about the preaching of baby sugs and says something that to me reflects this message of Parshat Titzaveh and of Purim. She did not tell them to clean up their lives or go and sin no more. She did not tell them they were the blessed of the earth, its inheriting meek or its glory-bound pure. She told them that the only grace they could have was the grace they could imagine, that if they could not see it, they would not have it. Here, she said, in this here place, we flesh, flesh that weeps, laughs, flesh that dances on bare feet in grass. Love it. Love it hard. Shabbat shalom.